if you have a Bible, open to the book of First uh, Samuel, First Samuel chapter 17. We're in a series right now called After My Own Heart, and, and we're looking at the life of uh, this guy named David in, in the scriptures, and the, the reason that the series is titled After My Own Heart is because that was what God said about David. He, he looked at him and he said, this guy right here, this is a guy who's after my own heart, and it wasn't because... David did everything perfect. We're going we're gonna to see that as we continue to kind of go through his life. Um, but David did seem to grasp um, in a very real and very authentic way um, God's love over him. Even in, in when David has these successes like we're going to look at tonight and when David has massive failures that we're going to look at later on in his life, David just seems to have this overwhelming sense and reality of, of God's love for him. And so he's a super intriguing character uh, to me. Last week, we started this series, and when we met David, um, he has a job as a shepherd, um, but he also kind of has this part-time hobby as a singer-songwriter. And so we get this really great picture of this teenager um, who's kind of in the field, in the pasture with his sheep, um, writing these songs uh, about and to God uh, as he works as a, as a shepherd. And really, that moment is kind of like the golden age for David, and he really flourishes in obscurity. And we, we talked about that last, last week, just how if you feel as though God has you in a place of obscurity where no one really knows who you are or no one, it seems that no one really knows what you're doing, um, that's really a, a, a super intimate place to be with God. Um, and in many ways, God has you there um, for a particular reason, and that's so that you would know him more. So we're going to see with this story tonight um, that David kind of breaks onto the scene, and really this is what launches him into being a household name. Let me pray, and then we'll get um, into, into our, our text tonight. Father God, we love you. And um, God, what a, a great way just to even start this time together where we get to sing these things about you, God, about your amazing grace towards us, and God, how we live and breathe um, in and out of your relentless favor to us. Um, God, and it's not based on whether we, whether we could earn it or not, because we, we can't, we don't. Um, and God, that, that just is really overwhelming for us tonight. Um, God, as we, as we go to the scripture now, your, your word to us, and we look at this man, David, um, God, we're, we're asking ultimately that, that we would just see more of you, that we would experience more of you and, um, God, that doesn't happen because I am able to, to tell a story or to talk us into it, God. It only happens um, when your spirit moves in this place. So, Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you move and would you bring conviction where that's needed? Would you bring encouragement in the room where that's needed? Would you bring comfort where that's needed? Would you just move with power, I pray? Jesus, we love you, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. First Samuel chapter 17, and hopefully um, this story is not too familiar. It's probably a, a story that most people in the room are familiar with, but I'm hoping that we can kind of engage our imaginations as we read it, and it's not something that's 
that's too familiar. So I'm going to start. I'm, there's a lot of scripture that we're going to read tonight. We're going to read this whole chapter. Um, so I'll try to tell a story and kind of work through it. We'll start in verse 2. So Saul and the Israelites, um, remember Saul is king. David has been uh, anointed by Samuel, who's a prophet. He's the mouthpiece of God. He comes with the authority of God. But we don't, David doesn't know in particular he's been anointed as king. Um, we know that from, from reading in the scriptures, but Saul is the acting king still. So Saul and the Israelites assembled in camp in the valley of Elah and drew up their battle lines to meet the Philistines. Now the, the Philistines occupied one hill and the Israelites another with the valley between them. So we're, we're, we're peering into a, a battle scene here against the Israelites who are the people of God and the Philistines who are the enemies of the of the Israelites. A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits and a span, which is about, he's, he's almost 10 feet tall. He's about nine foot nine. Big dude. He had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scale armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. Everybody knows how much that is. That's, that's about 125 pounds. So this is kind of, his armor weighs about 125 pounds. Um, he had a, he had a, his height was, he had a bronze helmet on his head, wore a coat of scale armor, 5,000 shekels on his legs. He wore bronze greaves and a bronze, bronze greaves and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. And his spear shaft was like a weaver's rod and its iron point weighed 600 shekels. So that's about, it's about 15 pounds. Um, and his shield bearer went ahead of him. So his shield is so large that he has another man who carries that and goes out in, in, in front of him. So Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine and are you not the servants of Saul? So this is, this is smack talk in the Bible. Um, and he says, choose a man and have him come down to me. And if he's able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. So you get what's happening here. So two armies line up. This was kind of a common practice in these days where instead of everybody fighting each other and like bashing each other, they just say, okay, we're going to send our champion out. You send your champion out. And whoever wins that battle wins the battle. So Goliath is out. And he's talking all this, all this smacks. And then the Philistine said, This day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man. Let us fight each other. Now on hearing the Philistine words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. Now David, he, this is where he comes back on the scene. David was the son of an Ephrathite named Jesse, who was from Bethlehem in Judah. And Jesse had eight sons, and in Saul's time he was very old. So Jesse's three oldest sons had followed Saul to war. The first was Eliab. Remember, we saw him last week. That's who, when Samuel saw him, he's like, oh, that's clearly the guy that God wants me to anoint because he's tall and good-looking. And kind of like today, if you're tall and good-looking, you should just be king. That's what he thought. Um, the second was Abinadab. The third, Shammah. And David was the youngest. The three oldest followed Saul, but David went back and forth from Saul to tend his father's sheep at Bethlehem. So when Saul... Um, Saul meets David. David is kind of uh, like music entertainment for Saul. Uh, so, so David has a job as a shepherd. That's his full-time job. And then he kind of has like this part-time job where he goes and he plays some songs for Saul to make him feel better. So that's kind of the, the scene why David is going back and forth. But most of the time, David's with, with the sheep at Bethlehem. Um, for 40 days, the Philistine came forward every morning and evening and took his stand. Now Jesse said to his son David, take this, take this, this, Ephah of roasted grain 
and these 10 loaves of bread for your brothers and hurry to camp. Take along these 10 cheeses to the commander of their unit and see how your brothers are and bring them back some assurance from them. So in other words, bring me something back from so I know that they're alive. So take this bread, take this cheese, take this wheat, go check on your brothers, make sure that everything is okay. They're with Saul and all the men of Israel in the valley of Ella, 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 fighting against the Philistines. So early in the morning, David left the flock in, I know, stupid. (laughs) Early in the morning, David left the flock in the care of a shepherd. He loaded up, set out as Jesse had directed. He reached the camp as the army was going out to its battle position, shouting the war cry. Israel and the Philistines were drawing up their lines to face each other. And David left the things with the keeper of supplies, and he ran to the battle lines and asked his brothers how they were doing. And as he's talking to them, Goliath comes out. So David has run to the battle, checking on his brothers, drops off the stuff, goes out to kind of check and see how his brothers are doing. And in the midst of this, as he's kind of doing this, Goliath, as he was doing every day, and it says that he did it in the morning and did it in the afternoon, comes out and he starts his rant again. The Philistine champion from Gath stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance, and David heard it. And when every the Israelite saw the man, Goliath, they all fled from him in great fear. And now the Israelites have been saying, do you see how this man keeps coming out? He comes out to defy Israel. The king will give great wealth to the man who kills him. He will also give him his daughter in marriage and will exempt his family from taxes in Israel. So there's huge incentive for the person who would go out and fight Goliath. And David asked the man standing near him, he said, what will be done for the man who kills the Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this, again, is more Bible smack talk. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And they repeated to him what, had been sent to, what, had, what they had been saying and told him, this is what will be done for the man who kills him. Now, this is, this is kind of classic kind of big brother, little brother thing here too because Eliab is, is going to speak next and he just flat out punks his brother. And he... Because when he hears David asking about, like, well, hey, how come nobody is stepping up to Goliath? How come we just let Goliath come out and say all this stuff and nobody's doing anything, right? So he, his brother Eliab says to him, and he, and he burns with anger. The scripture says, why, why are you even down here? And, and with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? He's trying to punk him. He's like, don't you have some sheep you're supposed to be with? And he says, I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You only came down here to watch the battle. In other words, he's saying, look, you like punk kid. You don't even know what you're talking about. I know you're just down here because you want people to notice you, right? So he's just, this is how big brothers talk to little brothers. And so he's just kind of calling them out. And then this is, this is great. David just says, he's like, now what have I done? He's like, can I even speak? He's like, what, I can't even come down here and talk? And then he turned away to someone else and brought up the same manner, and the men answered him as before. And what David said was overheard and reported to Saul, and Saul sent for him. So Saul catches word that, hey, look, there is a young guy who just showed up, and he's interested in going to fight Goliath. And so David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. In other words, we should not be dismayed and terrified on account of this Philistine. And, and, and he says, your servant will go and fight them. And Saul says, look, you are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him because you are just a young man. This Philistine, this Goliath, he's been a warrior from youth. You are a shepherd, singer, songwriter. He is a, is a warrior, and he's been that way since birth. Plus, homeboy's nine foot tall. And Saul replied, 
Saul replied, you're not able to go to him. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. And when it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. So he's like, listen, I know I'm just a kid, but I've killed a lion with my bare hands and a bear too. No one's impressed. (laughs) I think that's pretty cool. He says, your servant has killed both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. Verse 37, this is really important. This is where we get a glimpse into the heart of David. This is why God says about David, that dude, he is a man after my own heart. And this is how we know that David, he did, he lived in the overwhelming love that God had over him. He says, look, verse 37, the Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of the Philistine. And then Saul said to David, okay, it's obvious. I can't talk you out of this. Go and let the Lord be with you. David does something that's very significant there in in that verse 37, but really in that in that kind of chapter there, in that section there. He rehearses the faithfulness of God. He, he rehearses and tells the story, once again, how God has continued to come through for him. The, the story or the testimony, what he's seen God did before. And it's a great lesson for us because in our lives, we're gonna face these challenges that seem absolutely insurmountable. They, they might be relationship challenges, they might be health challenges, they might be professional challenges, they might be financial challenges, they might be challenges just in the way of temptation. There are all these kind of things that are gonna come your way. And in that moment, we wanna do what David did. We wanna rehearse the testimony and tell the story. You know what? God has brought victory before. God's been faithful before. I believe that he'll be faithful again. God rescued me from a situation that looked like there was no rescue. And I believe that he'll do that. I believe that he'll do that again. God has provided in the past. I believe he'll do it again. And it gives you confidence, not a confidence in your ability, not a confidence in what you can do, but in confidence in what God has done in, in the past. And, and the victory that, that you'll have in those situations, it doesn't depend on your current ability, but on the past, present, and future faithfulness of God. Let's see how the story ends. And then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. And he put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. And David, he fastened on his sword over the tunic, and he tried walking around because he was not used to them. And he says, look, I cannot go in these. So Saul says, okay, you can go and you can fight this giant, but you can't go in just what you're wearing. Take my, take my armor. Take the king's armor. And you put it on. Here, take my sword. Take my stuff. And you go out. If you're going to go out there, I feel like you have to wear my stuff. And he and he. David puts it on and he says, look, I can't go out in these because I'm not used to them. So he took them off. And then he took his own staff in his hand and he chose five smooth stones from the stream. He put them in a pouch of the shepherd's bag and with a sling in his hand, he approached the Philistine. When God does transition you out of what feels like obscurity, when God does call you into a place where he said, I got something for you to do. 
I, 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 I have someone for you to love and care for. I have, uh, I have a, a, a place for you to go. I have something for you to say. I have something for you to do. I have something very specific for you. When, when you step out, especially to something that you've never done before, there, there's a tendency and there's a temptation to leave the practices or leave the truths or leave the relationships that made you who you are up to that point. Sometimes when we feel like, okay, I'm going to the next stage of my life. So in, in this room, it's a pretty wide age range. So some of, some of you are kind of around 18. Maybe you just finished high school and you're in your first or second year of college. Some of you are well past that. Some of you are well into your, in, into your career. But a lot of times when we, ha- when we make these kind of life stage changes, we feel like, well, okay, what I was rooted in maybe as a, as a high schooler, um, I, I'm going to leave that now and I'm going to try something new as a college student. Or what I was rooted in as a college student, I'm now kind of making this transition into you know, more of a young adult, pre-professional, professional. So I'm going to leave kind of those things that they did. They sustained me while I was in that season, but now I just feel like I've got to make a change. Or, or, or some of you, you're kind of on the, on the, on the cusp of, of marriage, and there were things that you learned in your singleness uh, that you feel like, well, I can kind of leave those things. I can leave the familiar things of God, the truths, the way that I walked in. Um, and, and there's a tendency and the temptation to leave those things. New challenges, new environments, they can make us feel like, okay, well, I, I have to kind of start over. I have to do everything kind of over. And what we see here with David is that's not the case. In, in, in fact, he, he puts on this other armor and he said, this just isn't familiar to me. And, and that's a really good lesson for us because there are familiar things of God that you've learned in your life if you're a follower of God. And I think the tendency is to, is to forget those things or to not go back to those things. To think, well, like, okay, I need something else. I have to have something new or I have to uh, have, there has to be some other kind of revelation. And God say, no, I've, I've told you who I am. You've seen me work in the past in this way. You've seen me bring victory in this, in this way. And what we're learning from David here is go to the familiar things of God. And part of that, what plays into this is that a lot of times there's expectations that happen in every stage of life, right? And, and some of you, you're really kind of sitting under the weight of that right now. Maybe there's expectations on you that you've put on yourself. Like, man, I really expected that I would have done this by now, or I really expected I would have been with them by now, or I really expected I would have not lived with my parents by now, or whatever the thing is, you kind of have these expectations, or there's cultural expectations, there's things in the culture that says, you know, really, by now, you, you should own this, or you should have this, or you should wear this, or you should act like this, or this should be said about you by this time, or maybe there's relational expectations that other people in your life, they put on you, um, and it's just, you're feeling the burden, you're feeling the weight, you're like, gosh, I just feel like there's so many expectations on it. And because of that, you feel like, I got to make a change. I have to leave these familiar things of God. And I got to try something else because these expectations either that I have or that culture has of me or someone else has over me, I'm not meeting that. You, you, you might be in a, in a place right now where you, you are feeling that God's clearly called you to do something. That God's clearly called you to a place of sacrifice or to a place of obedience. And you just feel like the you that God has called is not a good enough you. Like if I, I do believe that God's called me to this place of obedience or God's called me to this place of sacrifice, but I just can't go as me. I got to try to be somebody else. But the very, the very first time um, that I ever had an opportunity to preach at a, at a church, um, I was like just kind of brand new pastor. And I know when I tell illustrations about myself, it probably doesn't land because you're not 
pastors or whatever, so you're kind of like, okay, this, what do I have to do with this story? But um, hopefully it fits. I, I, at, the, at the time, I, I really had no idea like, what, I, what I was doing. You, you could say the same thing today, honestly. Um, but I was reading and listening to this guy that I really, really enjoyed listening to. And he really, he really spoke to me. This, it's this, this pastor author named John Piper. And if you know anything about this guy, he's just super passionate and just like crazy smart and just like oozes like God, you know, loves God, sovereignty of God, all this kind of stuff. And it's just, and I, I was, he was preaching these messages and writing these books about people who are going to the mission field and giving their life. And if you're, if you're not doing that, then you're wasting your life. And I was like reading through this book called Don't Waste Your Life. And I was like, I don't want to waste my life. And I don't, no one else should waste their life either. And so I get an opportunity to preach and I'm absolutely like just loaded with this material. But I didn't have a single thought of my own, but I had all of like Dr. John Piper's things. So I get up there and I'm literally like telling all his stories. Like I'm telling stories about missionaries I know nothing about, but that's just so like intriguing to me. And I do this whole thing and I'm banging on a pulpit and I'm just like going like bananas over this. And I really have no idea what I'm even talking about. And I just remember like it felt so, so awkward. And all these people in the church are just looking at me like, is this guy, is he like okay? Like, is, what is going, what's he doing? And it just felt, it was so disingenuous. It made no sense, right? Because he's, you know, like a 65-year-old man and I'm not. And so I'm just talking about things I don't really know about and talking about experiences that I don't really know about. You know, and, I, and, and it, it just was so obvious that I was wearing Saul's armor. And, and, I, and I think that the, the tendency is for us to try to conform to expectations of others. Um, to ch- if I could say it really simply, to try to be somebody that you're not. There is a real pressure in that. There's a real pressure to, to not be you who you truly are, but to present a version of you that you think other people are going to like more than the true you. And I, I don't know if anybody, I might be the only person in the room who like really has wrestled and struggled and suffered with that. But, but I know what that is. And it, it's an absolute prison to try to say, well, the real me is just not good enough. So what I've got to do is I've got to create this kind of false me. And we do that in a ton of different ways. Um, maybe it is that we like, you know, kind of take on language of somebody else, or maybe we dress somebody else. But it's not always like external like that. There are internal things that we do that we try to present ourselves as, as who we're really not. And it, it doesn't liberate you. It, it paralyzes you. And you'll get to a place, and this has happened to me, where you don't even know who you really are anymore. Because you've done so much of kind of dressing in other people's armor that there's nothing that's even familiar about who you really are anymore. And it affects every relationship that you have, namely your relationship with God. Because you've built in this kind of thinking like, the real me isn't good enough for other people around that I want acceptance. And I don't think the real me is good enough for God. And you create a distance there that he never intended. But if God has uniquely gifted, equipped, hardwired, and called you as his child 
to be who you are, to show the world who he is, which, which is why our hypocrisy, our lukewarmness, our, our, our insecurity is so dangerous because ultimately it, it's a poor reflection of who Christ is to a world that desperately needs him. So when you live like this, when you live like you try to promote this false self, not only do you affect relationships horizontally with one another, you also affect your relationship with the Lord because you don't feel like you can truly go to him. And then also, it affects your relationship for you to be on mission or to reflect to those who do not yet know who Jesus is to the world. So you're just this distorted picture all over the place. So if, if you f- are feeling this pressure, like I have to, I have to put on Saul's armor, I, I think one of the really the key things that we learn from David here is that the familiar, simple, ordinary things that God has given you in being you is more than enough. And we're going to see in a second that God does really extraordinary things with them. This honestly is one of my biggest dreams and hopes and prayers for this community is that we'd be a community of authenticity. Um, I, 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 and it doesn't mean that we're going to be a group of people who have it all together. In fact, I think it's really quite the opposite. But I think it gives us the freedom to say, I don't have it all together. And that's really okay because God has me and, and that's, more than, that's more than enough. And, and, and I think if we were a community that was authentic and real before God and before one another, one that just creates a winsomeness to the watching world that doesn't really exist anywhere else. There, it's, a, it's a scary place to be, but there's such a freedom and a freshness about it that you, and, and, and I've heard this from time to time, that people will come in here and you're like, I just don't know what it exactly it is that's going on in there, but that's what I want. And that's really what we are to be to the, to the watching world. That's what it is to be a Christian. That's what it is to be a little Christ. Because when we see Jesus who maneuvers through the world, he's 100% authentically who he is. And we see Jesus operate in all these different environments with all these different kinds of people. And, and that's why he can walk into a place where people are shouting, Hosanna, here comes the king. Or there's people saying, we want to crucify him. Jesus has this non-anxious presence everywhere he goes as you see him through the Gospels. And that's what he encourages for us to be. Wouldn't you, lo- wouldn't you love that, honestly? If you felt like you could authentically and truly be you because you were so secure in who you were before God that you didn't have to go into different environments and pretend. I didn't have to be a certain way around these people or a certain way around these people. I didn't have to live for the praise of these people and I wasn't shattered by the insults of these people. But I was so, I'm so secure in who I am as a son or a daughter. I'm abiding. That's what God calls us to. Abide in, in me, he says. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 says, We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in. And what we're seeing here in David's life is that God has a particular thing for you to do in a particular time and a particular way for him. And if you're trying to do what God has for you in a way that somebody else does it because you think it's better than just simply being who God has made you to be and you're trying to do it for the approval of someplace else, that's an absolutely miserable place to be. Embrace the uniqueness that God has created you. There's nothing inherently sinful about Saul's armor. That, that's not really the, the point. It's just that it's not David's armor. It, it belongs to Saul. I, I, I talked last week about when I first started at, at 710 and, and the, the, some of the pressure. And, and um, the guy who led 710 before me is this guy named Tyler Johnson. And Tyler's like 
wicked smart, crazy intellectual. It's, he's actually a, a doctor, not a medical doctor. So not a real, like a real doctor, but like a Bible doctor, which is not a real thing. But it says doctor in front of his name. So I am clearly not that. Um, he's Dr. Tyler Johnson. I'm like Dr. Seuss Paul. Like it's, it's, very, it's very clear. But it still didn't stop me from trying to be that. And it was pretty miserable for everyone, honestly, because I was wearing armor that wasn't mine. The, the point is this. If you leave the truths of what you know to be right, that, you've, that have allowed you to walk in freedom so far, and instead you put on the other armor, that you'll, you'll stumble and you'll fall. So in verse, in verse 40, um, again, I, I hope this is not such a familiar story to us that we really lose the impact of it. Because you have to realize just how insane this scene is here. And so in verse, in verse 40, it says this. He takes, he takes his staff, his shepherd's staff, five smooth stones from the stream. He puts them in the pouch of the shepherd's bag. And with the sling in his hand, he approaches the Philistine. So nothing about what David does here makes any sense. He has armor and weaponry that is technologically advanced. I mean, the, it, the, the scripture describes kind of like what Saul's stuff looks like. It describes what, what Goliath's stuff looks like. If, if this was me, I would want this scene where I'm about to go out to, to, to fight Goliath to be like, you know, like in the action movies where they like throw open the closet and it's like every gun and every like knife and every, like there's like a bazooka in the corner. Like that's what I would envision. Like if you're going to go to battle, you're going to go fight this giant, you'd have something like that. But instead he goes and he gets five. I don't even know if that's like the appropriate number of stones. He just goes and he, and he picks them up and he puts them in his sling and he goes uh, and he steps out against um, D- D- Goliath. So to say that his getup is unimpressive um, is an understatement. Now, here, here's what we need to, again, kind of like dial in on. It, the whole point is that the rock is the only thing that David knew how to use. The, the rocks are not impressive, and that's really not the point of the rocks. They, but they are familiar. They are things that that David has used in his experience with God before. David knows how to use him. God has already time, he's many times before put these rocks in David's hands. And so when the giant comes, David's like, now's not the time to learn new techniques and, and, and how to fight. He takes the same tools, the same resources that God has given him before. And, and, and again, the point is not the rocks. The point is not the sling. The point isn't even David. The point of this story is the faithfulness of God and his ability to use extremely ordinary things and people to do extraordinary things for his glory and fame. And that is, that's the point for you. That is the point for you, is that God wants to use the extremely ordinary parts of your life and you to do extraordinary things for him. It's, it's not about David as an expert marksman with a slingshot. There, there is clearly a supernatural forceps behind that stone. And in your life, you might look at what you have or what you do or where you are in life and you just see, just, you just see a simple stone. It doesn't look impressive to you. It doesn't feel impressive to you. It doesn't feel like it could ever really accomplish anything. But what this story teaches us is you take those simple things in your life you take the simple everyday things of your life, whether it's, whether it's school or work or relationship, resources, finances, a gift, an ability, a passion, 
a talent. And maybe to you, it just looks like a simple little stone. And it's a thing that people would overlook almost every time. But what the point is, you would take that and you'd say, God, this is yours. Here it is. You hurl this part of my life. You hurl my life in whatever direction that you see fit. It's yours. It doesn't feel like much to me, but I know that what you can do with it is extraordinary. David is, is not just doing what is familiar, he's doing it in the name of the Lord. And when we do that, when we offer our lives, when we offer our abilities, our talents, our passions, our dreams, God takes our ordinary rocks and he makes them into a useful tool for the kingdom of God. This is not David's first rodeo with a slingshot. It's not, for, it's not the first time in him trusting God. This is the biggest foe. This is no doubt the biggest battle. Um, it's the biggest stage, but it's not the very first time that he's ever relied on God. And so every day, you have to, like David, step across a line, whether it's a temptation, whether it's persecution, whether it's ridicule. In those moments, how ready are you? How, like, how prepared are you? How confident are you in the faithfulness and the goodness of God, his beauty, his love, his grace? Because David didn't wait for this moment to test the faithfulness of God, to know God. This was not the very first time that David had ever experienced the faithfulness or the love of God. David had spent serious time with God before he faced Goliath. And so the fight starts way before the battle. The fight starts in the pasture. The fight, the fight starts in the moments of quiet and stillness and solitude, reflecting on who God is and knowing who God is. Look at verse um, 41. Meanwhile, the Philistine, with his shield bearer in front of them, kept coming closer to David. And he looked David over, and he saw that he was a little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome, and he despised him. And he said to David, Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? Come at me, bro. And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and to the wild animals. I, th- I think it's really unique about the resistance that David encounters because now these taunts are starting to be personal. And, and if you've ever tried to step out for God, you've experienced this. And sometimes it shocks us. Sometimes God calls us to a particular thing. God calls us to a t- particular place of obedience and a particular place of sacrifice. And we think we're going to run out there and it's going to be like all hugs and high fives and it's just going to be great. And then we're met with insults, personal insults, personal attacks. And sometimes that, sometimes that, that shocks us. I've, I have a friend who God just did a major work in her life and she just really felt like I need to change I need to change the decisions I make. I need to change the relationships that I have, and particularly in this realm of, 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 of dating. And as she began to kind of make these decisions, she was really met with a ton of resistance from this old crowd of friends and from just kind of a lot of people who were in her sphere of influence. And I just remember these conversations. She's like, I just really never felt like making the right decision would have all these adverse have all these effects. But what Jesus tells us is, look, they hated me. So how do you think they're going to treat you? Look at verse 44. Um, He says, come here and I'll give you your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. And David said to the Philistine, he's like, look, you come against me with a sword and spear and javelin, 
But I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. And this day, the Lord, if you underline things, important verse, he says, this day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I'll strike you down, and I'm going to cut your head off. It's strong words. Um, he says, this very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. And all those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he give all of you into our hands. And as the Philistine moved closer to attack him, Dave ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. And reaching into his bag, taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. It's a big old forehead. And the stone sank into his forehead, and he fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. And David ran and stood over him, and he took hold of the Philistine's sword and drew it from the sheath. And after he killed him, he cut off his head with the sword. And when the Philistines saw that their hero was dead, they turned and ran. And then the men of Israel and Judah surged forward with a shout and pursued the Philistines to the entrance of Gath, to the gates of Ekron, and their and the dead were strewn along the Sherem road to Gath and to Ekron. And when the Israelites returned from chasing the Philistines, they plundered their camp. And David took the Philistines' head and brought it to Jerusalem. And he put the Philistines' weapon in his own tent. So, as we close, what has God given you to do that you feel like is taunting you? Like, where, where's the place of, of obedience or the place of sacrifice um, that is offering resistance or, op, or opposition? I, I, I know there's always an internal struggle, but, but I know some of you, you have external relationships or circumstances that make obeying God feel very difficult. Like, it's not just as simple. I mean, you'd love to be like, what David has done here. You'd love to say, man, I'd love to just be confident in the place of that temptation. I'd love to just be confident in the, in the place of obedience or in the place of sacrifice. Um, I, I'd love to just kind of stand there confidently and just say, this, the victory is the Lord's. But I'm met with real opposition. I'm met with real re- resistance. And, and, and it's not even people always that don't know Jesus. I mean, that, that kind of makes sense to us. People who aren't Christians, we kind of feel like, yeah, it makes sense that they would be in opposition. Some of you, you're experiencing resistance from people who are believers, from people who are Christians. You, you have to step out to this battle line. You have to step out towards whatever you, the giant is, whatever the, the place of obedience that God's calling you to. And you're being met with really real resistance. And some of you, you've never felt opposition to obedience um, because you're still hiding behind the lines. You're, you're not stepping out to face a giant. You're, you're not stepping into a, a place of battle. Some, some of you, you're not, even, you're not even choosing to be anywhere near the fight. You're still like lined up at the food truck waiting for them to pass out the bread and cheese. Let me just encourage you that is, is, it, is it difficult? Yes. Does it open you up to ridicule? Yes. But what you gain in that moment, the scripture tells us, is incomparable. Is incomparable to what the world would offer. David says to Goliath, he says, who, 
who do you think that you are to mock the living God? Again, this is why he's a man after God's own heart because he has this, he has this opinion of God that David is willing to stand up to anyone who opposes him. Do you have that strong of opinion about God? Do you, have that, that, do you have that kind of confidence in God to where you'll stand in the place of opposition to God or you'll stand in a place of, uh, 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 of temptation where you'd say, who are you to mock the living God? Do you, do you have that experience? Sometimes, you know, this might not be like the most spiritual motivation, but, but sometimes it just gets really boring in life not being in the battle. Uh, and, and if you're living in a place where you don't, really don't feel like any kind of spiritual opposition, I would take that as a warning sign. Because it would, it, it would mean that you're really not pressing into the places of where God is, is calling, you, calling you to live. What, what, what I love about this story, and we'll close with this, what I love about this story um, is that while the outcome truly is extraordinary, I mean, that's a crazy story, the means or the tools, and, and, and David, honestly, is quite ordinary. I, I mean, it's like when we talked about this ideal with obscurity. Um, we, we really want, like, all of life to be jumping out of airplanes. We think, like, everything should be the most exciting thing ever. But, but really, God just wants you to be faithful with what he's given you. God really wants you to just be faithful with the stones that you have in your pouch. And remember what David says. He says, it's the Lord that delivers. It's not even really about your ability or your talent or your giftedness. It's about God's ability to slay giants, not ours. When I was in Bible college, they were always like really ramped up and like in our face about like, are you gonna do something great for God? Are you gonna do something great for God? And what they were talking about was like, are you gonna be a pastor or a missionary or like a DJ for Caleb? You know, are you gonna have like a Christian job? Um, and I ju- it just creates this dichotomy that just doesn't exist. It's not. It's just not the heart. It's not the heart of God, because we need pastors and we need missionaries. And I guess we need Caleb DJs, but but we also really need uh, lawyers and teachers and real estate agents, and we we need bank tellers and baristas, and we we need moms and we need dads who love God and who wake up every day and say, you know what? I have these five stones and I'm going to offer them up for God. And to me, they feel extremely ordinary, but I totally believe that God can do something extraordinary in his, with his perfect will and his perfect power. So I submit it. To me, it just feels like a simple stone, but I totally offer it up. I completely offer it up. What I am... What I love the most about David, and, and one of the reasons that I want to do a study in his life, is that David is always pushing us forward to a truer and better David, who, who is Jesus, who last week we talked about he is a king who put on obscurity to become king to a lost people. In this story, Jesus is the better David because Jesus is the one who serves as our champion, He's the one who serves as our advocate or our representative. He's the one who fights for us. For all of eternity, we've been lined up across the field from evil, and there's no one that could come from among us to conquer this foe. Ultimately, it's Jesus who is the one who steps out. It's, it's Jesus alone who takes on the evil one and defeats him on our behalf and wins victory for us. And in many ways, what the scene that we see here with David and Goliath, it sets up the scene for the cross of Christ and his resurrection. Truthfully, it's not our fight. 
It's God's. It's not about our skill or not about our willpower. It's not even about us having perfect faith. It's about us surrendering the simple things to God. And the scripture says when we do that, we then offer our lives as living sacrifices. So I want us to take kind of this story. And again, it, it could be a very familiar story. Um, but I want to give us something just br- briefly to pray about. The guys are going to come back and lead us and in, in, in worship as we close. But I, I, I just think prayer is such an important part of our time together. And I want it to be a really important part of our community um, and, and because we, we have this time around tables, I, wa- I want to take it, and I, wa- I want you to pray through um, just with each other just a, this concept that we get from here. What is it that you feel like God is calling you to offer up to him? Do, do you have things in your life where you feel like, you know, I've given God almost everything, but I have this one particular category that I just don't feel like I can offer that up. I've got this relationship that I really don't want him to mess with. I've got this plan or this hope or this dream I really don't want him to mess with. I've got this set of resources or finances or opportunity that I really don't want him to mess with. And so what is God saying to you tonight? What is God saying to you? And he said, look, I want you to offer up these everyday familiar things that I've given you. And I want you to watch me do something absolutely extraordinary with them. And so take some time just to kind of pray about that. And then the guys are going to lead us. And they're going to lead us in a song that's, that's new for us. It's, it's new to, to this community. Um, but it, but the, there's, a, there's a part in the, in, in the song that it speaks to me in, in, in particular. But, but it talks about like when, when God, that all these things that God has created are created for one intent and one purpose, and that is to make much of him, to, to magnify him. And if you're a follower of Jesus, that's what God has created you ultimately for, is to magnify him and to make much of him. Um, and I realize that there are moments where we just feel like, I just don't feel like I, um, I can do that because I know me. And I've wrestled pretty significantly with that. Like, I just feel like there's failure in my life or there's inadequacy in my life or there's struggle in my life that makes it so I could never be like David. I, I could never be the one who steps out. I could, I could never be the one who speaks with that kind of confidence because I know who I am and I know what I've done. There's a line in the song that's super powerful to me personally. And it just says, God, when you speak, there's a hundred billion failures that disappear. And so if you're sitting there and you feel like, I want to offer these things, I want to offer these things to God, but I just don't feel like, I don't feel qualified at all because of my past failure or even my current failure and my current struggle. Understand the freedom of the gospel that speaks a better word over your shame and your guilt and your failure. Um, and God says, now I, want, I want all of you and I want everything that you have um, to be used for my glory and my fame.